Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. In this episode, we continue our discussion with Gary Arndt, the host of the Everything Everywhere Daily Podcast. We start off the discussion about whether or not human beings will land on Mars in the 2020s. And if not, when will they? He also talks about nuclear power. But before we get into this whole discussion, I want to share somebody's comment on speakpipe.com slash ftapon, where you can leave me an anonymous voice message. This message, though, is coming from Steve and Juja. Hey, Francis. This is Steve and Juja. Hey, Francis. We just listened to uh, one of your Wanderlearn podcasts with uh, Gary Arndt. And it was pretty entertaining. It was great. Then I saw we could record a voice message, so... First, I was going to say, hey, jackass, what are you doing? But then I thought it'd be nicer to not say that. So Juju and I are just uh, calling, saying hi. At some point, interested in uh, visiting Africa, going on a safari. So we'll hit you up for some tips on that. In the meantime, I uh, hope all's going well. Talk to you later. Aloha. I've become a big fan of SpaceX because what they're doing is real. They've made a, they've really done something in reducing the cost of getting stuff into orbit. Right. And that's not an insignificant thing. They've reduced it so much that no one else can really compete. When do you think that we're going to land on Mars, human beings? Oh, I don't know. There's a lot that goes into that other than, I mean, to be fair, uh, the biggest challenge is cheaply getting into Earth orbit because that's, that's the most energy. Getting from Earth orbit to Mars requires less energy than getting from the ground into orbit. So getting out of the gravity well. Right. And they're, they actually just put the first, uh, the, the, the SpaceX spaceship on top of its booster, which is actually bigger than a Saturn V. They just did it yesterday. And the, the scale of it is just crazy. And, but they haven't, the, the, this new space uh, starship, I should say, um, they haven't launched it into orbit yet. But that will even be more revolutionary than what they've done. And the reason is, is because it's a two-stage, 100% recyclable system. So like the space shuttle was supposed to be a reusable system. In fact, it wasn't. Uh, the big orange thing in the middle got burned up. The two solid rocket boosters basically had to be rebuilt from scratch every time. And then the shuttle, which is an insanely expensive and a complicated uh, vehicle, had to basically be gone over from start to finish every time it was launched, especially after the uh, Challenger disaster. And so uh, it, it wasn't really reusable. It was extremely expensive. Whereas the, uh, the, the Starship, basically the, the booster and the actual orbiting unit uh, will be able to be reused from scratch. And their turnaround time should be, in theory, could be done in as little as a week, not, you know, twice a year. But do you think that human beings will land on Mars this decade? No. Okay. Because there's too much that goes into that. Even if we can get into orbit cheaply, and even if we can send stuff to Mars cheaply, the issue of keeping humans alive, we've never, you know, we've only had uh, 18 people, I mean, it's 21, that we've, uh, yeah, because of Apollo 10, and, but we've sent very few people beyond uh, the Van Allen belt of earth. So, so like to the moon, either to orbit or land on it. Uh, and the radiation you get when you're in interplanetary space is much higher than what you get when you're in low earth orbit, where the shuttle and the, the space station normally are. So there are issues 
that are going to have to be overcome in terms of uh, shielding, in terms of keeping people alive. Um, lots of that stuff has to be done. But the first step to any of that is reducing the cost of getting stuff to orbit. Right. And that is where these enormous strides have taken place. You know, I've often, as a thought experiment, let's say in a million years, we knew that the Earth was going to be destroyed. And not even a million years, let's say a thousand years. And so, so, so what do we do? We need to move humanity off the Earth. What do we do? And the temptation is, okay, let's, let's build a, a, a ship. And the answer is no, you don't build a ship. You do nothing. You just get to figure out a way to get to orbit cheaply. Because the next generation is going to have, you know, once we've solved that problem, the next generation can work on everything else. And there was a great problem in computer science that I recall. Um, it was basically you have this very complex, uh, you know, cryptography key you need to crack. And it would take basically 20 years worth of computer time. And so you're given 20 years to crack it. What do you do? And what, how, what's your solution to the problem? And some people, it's like, well, okay, we build a supercomputer, we do this and this, uh, you know, we create a distributed system. Yet the the answer that achieved it in the required time uh, with the least amount of money was do nothing for 18 years, let Moore's Law catch up, and then use the new computers to solve it quickly. And that's basically the approach you need to take to space, I think. It's the, you need to let technology catch up, and then in 10 years, you worry about 20 years, you worry about going to Mars or something. All right. So 2030s is what you're saying. I agree with you. It's a big challenge. It, it's, it's bigger than I think a lot of people realize. Uh, make it out. And, and okay. here's the other thing. We're going to have to go to the moon first because I think going directly from Earth orbit to Mars is probably not a good idea. You're going to probably want to do it on the moon because on the moon you can, uh, there's, there's stuff there. There's stuff that we can use, water and oxygen that we can use to process, to create fuel. And it's going to be a lot easier taking that fuel from the moon than it is from Earth orbit. Have you, have you watched the series uh, For All Mankind on Apple Plus? No, I don't have Apple Plus. Sh- oh, well, maybe you could find ways around it. But um, I, I was hesitant doing it at first, but it's an alternate history. And the one thing that was different in this, this historical line uh, is that... The Russians made it to the moon before America did. Oh, yeah. I that was the th- one thing that was different. And then it set off a chain reaction where Nixon was only president for one term. Um, his second term was Teddy Kennedy was president. But then he got caught in a sex scandal and he was a one-term president. Reagan was elected in 76, not 80. Um we created a base on the moon. We never stopped the Apollo program, basically. And so all the... So the, the the uh, space race basically gets extended into the 80s because uh, we the Russians beat us to the moon. And it's a real fascinating... And so the first se- uh, series was basically the 60s and then uh, the 60s and early 70s. Uh, the second season was the 80s. And then the teaser for the third season is uh, was just the end of the last episode of the last season was a footprint on the moon. But you don't know if it's a Soviet footprint or an American footprint or even if the Soviet Union still exists because there's certain parallels. Like they'll throw in something like a a TV broadcast and it shows Senator Jimmy Carter from Georgia uh, saying something. So there's things in that timeline that are a little different. But All right. They got to the moon in the 90s there or to Mars. 
Oh, really? Okay. Because Musk says, Elon Musk says that he's going to get to Mars in the 20s, in 2020s. But of no. course, he, he blusters quite a bit. And he, I mean, over, it could be a one way trip. Right. But and there's um, plenty of, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I'm a real fan of what he's doing because he's putting his money where his mouth is and he's making substance, you know, even if Tesla doesn't make it as a car company, they've done a lot in terms of advancing electric vehicles. Oh, absolutely. Right? They've revolutionized. And, and so, so if you look at what Ford and GM and every other major car company is doing, they're now basically at a point where within 10 years, they'll probably be selling a majority electric vehicles. Right. Um, what do you, like his Hyperloop thing? That never happened. That, that, that's never, that was, but what did come of that was the boring company. And basically it's a company that's just doing one very simple thing, making it cheaper to dig holes in the ground. And cheaply and affordably digging holes in the ground uh, is it's, it's, it's an expensive thing. And if we can lower the cost on it by a factor of 10, which they're working on, it, it radically changes what we can do in terms of public transportation, building tunnels for cars, burying electrical wires, which has been causing a lot of the fires in California over the last several years, a lot of those high voltage wires. So it's, again, it's a simple thing, but there's a lot of, uh, changes to it. And the, the other thing that I think is really good is a lot of the effort that's going right now into fourth generation nuclear power. Uh, I, I really am a strong believer in nuclear power. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not against wind and solar, but they can't cover all the, the energy. Uh, that we need, especially if we move all of our vehicles to electrical, which will increase, you know, uh, energy, uh, electrical consumption has been very flat the last several decades in the U.S. Uh, there's been an increase in kind of usage and demand, but we've also had a corresponding decrease in uh, efficiency, or there's been improvements in efficiency. So total usage has been rather flat. But if all of our vehicles go from internal combustion engines to electric, we are going to see a significant increase in electricity. And uh, solar is just not going to cut it, especially when, you know, it doesn't work half the day and everyone talks about how cheap solar is. And that's true. The price of solar has gone down, but that solar does not include storage. Hmm. And if you need to include storage, that changes everything. So having a baseline, um, amount of production, which is currently coming primarily from gas and, and less and less from coal, uh, if we can shift that to nuclear, which is already about 20% of our electrical production in the U.S. and 75% in France, right. um, and these new facilities are built inherently safe. So if you literally cut the power, walked away, did nothing, they couldn't melt down, they couldn't overheat. And, uh, you know, and if you even move to something like thorium, thorium, you can't even produce... Uh, materials that can be used for nuclear weapons so you don't even have the proliferation problem plus it can you know a liquid th uh, thorium reactor can burn basically produces no waste it's it's it solves so many of the problems you haven't done an episode yet on fusion i don't think fusion is a lot like brazil brazil is going to be the country of the future and it always it always, always will be. be hey wait that, that and, you said that about bitcoin you're it's going to be the currency yeah. of the future <laughs> And the same is true with fusion. Uh, it's, it's, it's the power source of the future and always will be. Right. Um, always 20 years away. <laughs> if we could do it, great. But these facilities that they're building right now for these fusion tests are really expensive. If you think fission 
you know, is expensive. Fusion is even more expensive. And there are a lot of technical hurdles that need to be overcome. And assuming that we can overcome them, you're still looking at 20 years before it could make a significant dent into our power consumption, whereas nuclear is something that we can do today. And uh, the other big thing in nuclear is, you know, modular technology. Right now, we got to build this great big facility. And, and you know, the, the nuclear plants, most of them in the world and in all of them in the U.S. are called light water nuclear reactors. And, you know, they have those big cooling towers that are kind of reminiscent of a nuclear plant. And that's, uh, we need water. And these small modular reactors don't need all that water. So you can literally build them anywhere and you can build them on an assembly line and just ship them in and plug them in like batteries. Uh, and you can have smaller reactors for more remote places. You can uh, mix and match. And again, they can build inherently safe ones. This is this is way off track, but uh, I, I'm going to do one on nuclear power and nuclear waste uh, at some point in the future, an episode on it, because it's an area that I think the media has really... Science coverage in the media is bad generally, but for nuclear power, it's been horrible because there are things that people believe about nuclear energy that are just simply not true. They're right. just not. Right. Um, and a lot of people are scared of it when they, they shouldn't be. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, and go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash ftapon. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.